Hi, I'm Dion Chang. I'm the founder of Flux Trends, and it's my great pleasure and honor to be giving you this trend briefing today entitled The Game of Change, Keeping Up with Your Customers. What I really want to explore today is why innovation really matters right now. And that right now at Flux, we call the great staggering. So the great staggering is this phrase we came up with at Flux um, that describes the period from full lockdown um, in March 2020 to whenever the better normal is eventually going to reveal itself. And realistically, that looks uh, as if that's going to be in 2022. Now, the great staggering, while very distressful for many businesses and very disruptive, um, is in hindsight turning out to be the perfect window of opportunity to reassess, rethink, and reframe your business or also your business model. Because in 2020, everything changed. So many business colleges like using um, the acronym VUCA. And uh, in 2020, they said we need to move from VUCA to Barney. So VUCA stood for um, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Barney, however, it's quite a mouthful, that acronym stands for brittleness, anxiety, non-linearity, and incomprehensibility, which pretty much describes what 2020 was like for all of us. The reason why behind me is a person whitewater kayaking is that they say running a business in this day and age is a little bit like whitewater kayaking. You have to navigate the twists and turns in the river. You have to get through the rapids. You have to avoid the boulders. But there are also these unseen undercurrents that could drag you down at any stage. So I think if you own a business, this will really, really resonate with you. But I'd like to just try and flip it on its head and also see this pandemic or the great staggering, this window of opportunity that we have to really look into and embrace innovation. You'll find throughout history that great innovations happened at immense times of crisis. They say that innovation does happen uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, but when people are happy and the status quo is quite normal, then not, um, uh, not great innovation is propelled forward. It's only in times of crisis when we see this acceleration um, of, of new things and of new ways of thinking. So if you think about uh, things that we take for granted uh, today, GPS, the microwave oven, um, the internet, um, all of these things stem from the military. And they came out of the military because uh, in those times of crises uh, during the war, there was no other option but to find that solution. And we've seen the rapid development of vaccines as part of that accelerating of that innovation. We're also understanding now after 2020 that uh, concepts and technologies, uh, so for example, uh, work from home or maybe driverless autonomous technology for cars, um, these things have accelerated five years in one year. So we have to try and match that velocity of change. This was highlighted when Capita Consulting and Wide Magazine brought together business leaders from various sectors last year. Um, they brought in lawmakers, they brought in people from politics, from hospitality industries, from private equity, uh, from retail, and they said, what has happened to your businesses and what are the common threads? 
and two really strong themes emerged. And the first one is matching that velocity of change. So if everything has moved five years in one year, all your strategies that you uh, had in 2019 need to be re-examined and gone through with a fine tooth comb because um, it is uh, more than likely uh, things have changed so radically that you need to change that strategy or you need to implement new systems as well. The second one is the humanizing of businesses. So if um, in 2019 we were at a tipping point where companies were starting to appreciate or embrace uh, B Corporation listings or ESG ratings, that world has come full throttle forward into 2021. We are looking at very uh, humanized businesses. The word empathy came over and over again um, in 2020, and this is starting to be blended into um, how businesses are run. So shareholder primacy um, or just blatant or obsessive um, pursuit of uh, bottom line profits is not going to be a sustainable business um, model uh, going forward. So how do we do things and how do we change things uh, as, we, as we move forward? Well, one clue comes from the Financial Times. And during the, um, the pandemic, um, I read a line that really resonates with me and it just stuck in my head. And if I was a retailer, this would send a chill down my spine. Um, because what the Financial Times said is that um, every business now has to start re-evaluating their business models because they said either your customer is no longer where they were or two, they no longer need what you were selling. And that is really, really true. So either your customers have shifted somewhere um, or doing things differently or purchasing very, very differently, um, or their needs have changed and whatever you were selling has been uh, reprioritized or deprioritized. It's a very, very different way of looking um, at businesses. And you can see that change happening. So what happened in 2020 was this, uh, this boom of a contactless economy. Um, on the screen here, you are seeing um, what they call live stream e-commerce. So these are influencers um, that are going through products and selling for you. But I ask every company that we consult with, regardless of the sector, what does a contactless economy mean for you? And what new systems do you need to put in place in order to um, make sure that you meet that velocity of change of a new contactless economy? So what I'd like to do now is just look at that change consumer mindset, because if we are now chasing after consumers um, and they've really shifted uh, to from where they were and they're not buying what they used to buy, what are those risks or what are those opportunities? The one thing that we need to, to acknowledge um, is that it's no longer science fiction, but um, robot integration um, because of the pandemic has also been brought forward. So you're seeing on the screen behind me, um, just lots of different countries, and you, you'll see three broad categories of robotic integration or working with cobots, as they say. Um, you know, on my left, on the, on the left-hand side of the screen there is a healthcare bot um, used in Mexico. Here in South Africa, we have our own service or hospitality bots um, that are working in a smart hotel in Johannesburg. There's one about to be opened in Cape Town and uh, these robots help with check-in, help with the uh, room service. Um, and if uh, there are any coronavirus outbreaks in the hotel, um, they will service those uh, rooms um, and those, um, those customers uh, specifically. And in the UK, right behind me, uh, you see a maintenance uh, or a service bot. Uh, this is a cleaning bot um, in St. Pancreas Station 
um, in London. But our robot integration has gotten even uh, deeper than that. Um, this is a surprising one, um, that if we think that mental health issues were really laid bare and brought to the fore in 2020, um, it's interesting to note that uh, a survey done with uh, a whole lot of people, 80% uh, um, of people said they are completely happy uh, speaking to um, a algorithm or a, uh, a, a bot uh, in terms of therapy. So you actually now have uh, robot therapists uh, that come in in the form of an app uh, to do these things. So these are just some of the new systems that are shaking up or shifting a business model um, because of different uh, people's needs um, and wants uh, and robot integration and speaking to a robot therapist um, is one of those things. I think sitting at home in 2020, uh, we all experienced uh, to some extent or the other, um, our own existential crises. So you started to see uh, at the end of 2020 and it's uh, going full throttle now in 2021, um, the concept of semigration. Uh, people are moving around, people have now, I think the big aha moment in 2020 was separating work and place of work. Uh, we've understood um, that those two are not wedded together and uh, you can work remotely um, from a different uh, different place. So people are moving to second tier cities, which is more which are more affordable, maybe they have more space. Um, countries are starting to lure uh, nomadic workforces to say, uh, we'll give you a, a digital or nomad worker visa uh, to come and work um, in our country to do that. That shuffle and that real estate shuffle is not only going to reverberate within residential properties, but it is obviously going to hit commercial properties um, in a really, really big way. In 2020, we also saw a lot of socio-cultural and socio-political shifts. So these are the undercurrents I was talking about. If you're whitewater kayaking and you're trying to just uh, get through your operational issues, these cultural shifts or these political shifts um, are things that, are, that you don't really see, but they start uh, coming to really affect your business. Um, in America, with um, the Black Lives Matter movement after the killing of George Floyd, um, some supermarkets took uh, to doing this. And what you're seeing behind me um, are shelves that are specially marked um, with minority-owned businesses. So they could be Black-owned businesses, they could be female-owned businesses, um, supporting LGBTQI businesses. Um, we're starting to see this narrative of identity politics really, really come um, into the retail space. Um, but for me, this is an opportunity because um, how do you track all of this? This is um, a data-rich concept uh, that, that needs to be explored um, and there's a, a lot more tracking that is going to go uh, going on. We're also seeing, uh, parallel to this, a really big uptake in sustainability issues. So in uh, the beginning of 2019, um, this concept of loop uh, was introduced. Um, it has scaled and this uh, trend has also moved with philosophy. We are starting to see circular economies uh, really move into the retail space. Um, so, so customers are really worried about uh, sustainability. Um, so what Loop does is, um, what they did, is they went to all of the, the large home care um, companies. So whether it was uh, Rekha Benkiza, uh, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, and they said, 
join us in this quest to reduce single-use plastics. Um, and it's a clever subscription model because uh, what you do is you order uh, your home care products uh, from Loop um, and Loop allow each of the companies to brand the products. Uh, so it's uh, it's now gone just from home care to, to health care and to, to personal care as well. So whether it's a Nivea cream or an Hagen dust ice cream, which come in little tin tubs, um, they will deliver it to you. And as soon as uh, you're finished with them and you want replenishment, you just phone them up and Loop will bring them uh, back to you. So these issues of sustainability are starting to creep into business models. And one of the things that I've been noticing for the past couple of years is how people start trading in trash or trading in plastic. Um, this is uh, here in my hometown in Johannesburg, um, in Santon City. Uh, they introduced a reverse vending machine. Um, so you pop in either a tin or a plastic bottle um, into the hole on the left-hand side. Um, it reads a barcode and uh, it'll either spit it out if it's not recyclable or it will accept it um, and then it will give you a voucher. Internationally, these reverse vending machines have been uh, giving uh, vouchers for anything to do with um, um, either uh, your public transport, that's the most popular one, to, to uh, top up your public transport um, tickets, um, or you start to see people uh, possibly dealing with um, airtime or different rewards. So in the case of Santa City, um, they will give you a voucher to spend within the shopping mall. But this has scaled quite quickly. So um, right behind me, you'll see um, more of these reverse vending machines um, that are going to be popping around at your petrol stations. This one's at Shell Garage. Um, and on the left uh, left hand side is a really interesting one. So this is a company um, in Cape Town that is uh, going uh, one step further and they're actually allowing you uh, to use the credits that you have there um, to start investing um, in a few uh, equities. So that it's a partnership with Easy Equities and this, uh, um, this company is called Imagined Earth and they've done a collaboration. Um, so you can actually use uh, your recyclable plastic um, to start um, buying shares. So that's really started to move up um, and get quite advanced. But we're also seeing that in 2020, specifically on the African continent, we've had a surge of fintech. So there are many instances and cases of people never having uh, dipped their, their feet into online shopping for grocery shopping uh, or buying medications. Um, but of course, lockdown and stay at home has really surged that. And we know uh, from the banking sector that uh, in many cases, um, the African continent leapfrogs develop, uh, developed world uh, economies in certain aspects, um, and especially if it's to do with mobile banking or something with fintech, um, Africa is not to be ignored um, uh, with that because uh, there are advances and the adoption rate is really, really quickly. The other thing that's been quite quick to be adopted is um, NFTs, so uh, non-fungible tokens, and you would have heard about the artworks that have been sold for almost $70 million, that's the one behind me, um, but essentially, um, NFTs are blockchain uh, systems. So what was a concept uh, that was quite fuzzy um, a few years back has uh, really in 2021 moved to the fore. And we are understanding that there is this virtual world and this virtual economy. And now the virtual world and virtual economy is something that we at Flux are really um, studying and watching very, very closely. So um, we, you see behind me what has been happening in 2020 because of uh, social distancing and lockdowns. Um, you have these 
big luxury brands, and these are not insignificant brands. This is uh, Gucci, uh, Valentino, uh, Balenciaga. They have been dropping replicas of their collections into games like Animal Crossing, like Fortnite, uh, to do this. Um, and this has started to escalate really, really quickly. So um, what's happened is that we are starting to get a fully formed virtual econ economy um, or an economy in the metaverse. So the metaverse is a mixed reality between augmented reality and virtual reality, but we are getting this virtual economy or this uh, economy in the metaverse starting to mature very, very quickly. Um, so much so that uh, digital fashion um, has become a very big category within retail, which is why these big brands, these luxury brands, are starting to move into gaming to try and capture a younger market uh, to, to, as, as new customers. Um, but uh, behind me, you'll see there are services already uh, for interior designers to be able to renovate uh, your home in Animal Crossing. And this one's a, a much more of a Zen Japanese look uh, that uh, the interior designer has done. Um, but there's also a creative college in Farnham in the UK, which about uh, a month ago introduced the first virtual uh, or digital couture master's degree. So you can actually, if you are in design, you can actually get a virtual couture uh, master's degree from this college and that is just an indicator of how fast uh, this virtual economy is growing. Now, at the end, uh, beginning of every year, we come out with a, a trend briefing called the state we're in, and in it, we pepper it with bellwethers. So these are bellwethers that just tell us where these trends really, really are. And this was a perfect one to, to illustrate uh, this virtual economy. So um, on the left-hand side, you'll see this uh, mall. It's called the Carrick Town Center. It's in North Carolina. Um, it became uh, deserted and it followed uh, the fate of uh, many malls in America. But what is the significant twist is that uh, the entire uh, shopping center has been taken over by Epic Games. Now, Epic Games, um, are, you know, one of the, the most famous games um, is Fortnite. And uh, they um, have moved into the town center um, and are going to use that as their headquarters. So uh, it, an ironic twist. Um, that a gaming uh, company um, is uh, moving in and, uh, 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 and moving into a space uh, where bricks and mortar retail um, has failed and uh, they are pushing um, this uh, the life in the metaverse uh, moving forward. So if everything's changed and uh, your customers are no longer where they uh, were in 2019 and they are buying different things, um, I just wanted to delve quickly into supply chain and logistics because that has been a ripple effect of what the change has been um, in 2020. So at the start of the year, we just saw um, with lockdown and the pandemic um, that the reliance on uh, international supply chains linked to China were very fragile indeed. And what we've just seen um, this uh, uh, just recently has been the blockage in the Suez Canal and these huge um, shipping, uh, um, uh, these shipping uh, uh, freights uh, carrying 21,000 containers and them um, are getting stuck. And that has also caused a, a reverberation of, uh, um, of, of what uh, international supply chain is, what the fragilities are, and how to start rethinking things. So in many countries, you are starting to see to also support local businesses, a real call to support, uh, to support local businesses and maybe 
rearrange your supply chain to, to become more local so that it's not so dependent on a global um, supply chain and uh, logistics system. But things are changing very, very quickly um, indeed. So on the screen behind me, uh, you'll see um, the concept line booker. It was uh, born a couple of years ago, but this also just put the entire business model of transportation and logistics on its head. Um, so instead of just going to one company to, to do that, what Line Booker does is um, you put for, forward uh, the job that you require. I need to move things from A to B. This is what my cargo is. And in essence, uh, what this platform does is allow all transportation companies to bid for that job um, uh, in doing so. So it's changing the way in which businesses are done within supply chain and logistics. And the other interesting thing is how consumer mindset or this um, on-demand economy, this constant on-demand economy um, that has also been accelerated in 2020 has started to change the future of last mile deliveries. So on the screen um, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a test case for a company called D, uh, DP, uh, DPD and um, what they are proposing because uh, people are wanting things so quickly um, and with such immediacy um, that this last mile um, of delivery has become um, also sustainable. So these are small little um, uh, electric bicycle trucks that uh, take things um, within a, a 10 kilometer radius in a suburb, and that is matched with a new warehousing of dark warehouses or dark stores um, so that these are micro-fulfillment centers so that it <clears throat> can meet meet that customer demand for things. And South Africa is not far behind because I always get um, you know, blamed that I'm, I'm, I'm just showing people international case studies. Uh, but in fact, um, we have a trend confirmation. It's called Dash Delivery um, and it's just spawned a few months ago. Uh, and these are bike, bicycle deliveries, um, not electronic bicycles, but they are bicycle deliveries to deliver within a 10 kilometer radius um, locally. And I think it started in, in Cape Town. So we are really, um, uh, matching uh, international trends there. And keeping with the South African trend, this is a, an interesting one. It's a different click and collect uh, model that is being used uh, for medicinal purposes, uh, for pharmaceuticals. Um, and uh, this is uh, an, an invention from a young engineer who works at the Tsimolohong precinct uh, here in Johannesburg. Um, and what uh, this engineer noticed that uh, his um, grandmother had to wait um, in very, very long queues at hospitals to get her medication. Um, so he invented uh, a rather simple uh, click and collect uh, to just cut down on the queues uh, of those things. So how and um, the way in which people receive their goods uh, in this change world um, is really, really shifting very, very fast. I'd like to now just uh, focus on sustainability and the impact of, uh, of sustainability on retail investments. It's something, it's such a huge trend that I can't ignore um, not putting forward uh, to, to you today um, to make you aware of just how fast and how important this really, really is. So what we're starting to see um, in terms of, uh, of systems and of data tracking is traceability. So this, uh, this trend is just moving faster and faster and faster. Um, and as you, as you can see um, on the, uh, the, the image behind me, um, you know, there's, there's uh, measurements for land, water, methane, carbon um, emissions, fossil fuels, how much all of those 
um, are taking and are being used. Um, and of course, uh, this is not an insignificant surge because you'll start seeing that it is moving into different sectors. Um, so not only from uh, what we know in terms of supermarkets, uh, this is a, a, an oat-based uh, milk, um, an oat, oat milk, which also has carbon footprints there. Um, but behind me is a, another company, um, a furniture company, a Norwegian company, um, that is actually using um, little uh, carbon tracing um, labels on each of their pieces of furniture. Um, and again, um, this might seem to be a risk, but it also, for me, is an opportunity because these are all new systems that need to be put in place um, because the traceability trend is not going to go away. It is just growing faster and faster um, and just growing larger and larger. And keeping with sustainability, this is an interesting one and one that I was tracking in 2019, and I can't believe how fast this has evolved. Um, Sustainability loans were uh, more common in perhaps manufacturing or mining sectors. And in 2019, Prada was the first luxury fashion brand to be um, given a sustainability loan. This was granted to them. It's a large 50 million euro five-year sustainability loan from the Credit Agricole in France. Um, and what uh, this loan did was tie in repayments or um, interest rates for the loan uh, to be tied to sustainability goals. So for example, if Prada trained um, all of uh, their staff, their store staff in certain sustainability um, uh, issues or measurements, uh, that would be recalculated. If all of their stores became LEED compliant, they would also uh, recalibrate um, all of uh, those in, um, interest rates uh, as well. Um, so this is interesting because what this escalated uh, very quickly to was, um, and my title for this is fossil fuel pariahs. There's been a huge backlash. While we were focused on the pandemic, there's been this huge back backlash um, on companies using fossil fuels. Um, so this, uh, the, the, the Guardian in um, the UK was the first publishing house, global publishing house, to actually uh, state uh, publicly that they would start refusing any advertising from companies that were dealing or fronting within fossil fuels, um, there's a creative collective that were also asking uh, their peers in the creative industries and PR industries to start ditching their clients who were um, fossil fuel uh, companies or had, uh, had any links to those. Um, and there've been a lot of protests outside um, banks and uh, just here in South Africa, uh, we have Standard Bank, which is the first bank in South Africa to actually put forward their sustainability policies uh, within loans. So it's happening all around the world uh, where this is becoming um, increasingly an issue for financial um, investments or financial companies to do that. And my bellwether for this is a really interesting one and um, a remarkable one as well. Um, on the screen, you see a 25-year-old man, Mr. Mark McVee, and um, he uh, decided to sue his super fund. So he took his super fund to court and he said um, uh, he accused them of not mitigating the risks of climate change. So for example, if a fossil fuel company, uh, their stock started being uh, collapsing or reducing, he said the investment company or his super fund did not take those into consideration. Um, and late last year, uh, it was announced that he actually won the case. So this has set a global precedence for somebody that actually sued an investment fund 
for not uh, mitigating the risks of climate change. So this ripple effect is going to be a long and a very, very interesting one. And we can see where this is starting to go. So water started trading on Wall Street um, late in 2020. And now eco futures is something that uh, is, uh, is the, the focus of a lot of um, private equity firms or um, asset management firms are starting to look preferably um, at eco futures. But to link this back to data and uh, what we're talking about today is innovation and tracking. Um, this is uh, an example, a case study. Um, it's a little app, it's a platform called uh, Globalance. Um, and this was uh, designed um, by some Dutch designers for the Swiss bank. And this really is for investors to start tracking their investments um, and making sure that they are in line with uh, sustainability um, protocols. So they will look at four perspectives. So they will look at climate, uh, they will look at uh, carbon neutral footprints, their returns, um, and do the mega trends like I've been chatting about affect their investments uh, to do that. So things are changing, like I said, very, very quickly and in a very, very interesting fashion. So I'm just going to end off uh, with looking at implementing all of these changes into businesses, because I think it's important uh, if we are starting to reassess and reframe um, what our businesses do and what the business model really, really is, it means that you need to reassess if the ecosystem is the correct one that you are using. And I think the first one, there's different types of innovation. I give innovation lectures at various business colleges um, and there's uh, market, uh, you know, market growing innovation, there's sustain, sustaining um, incremental innovations. But the big one I think everybody is trying to do, especially with the digitalization and the fast digitalization of businesses is efficiency innovation. And what I mean about that is really to try and reduce organizational drag. So if we have a, a boom with a contactless economy, it does mean that um, your systems uh, and how you interact with your, your clients, um, specifically online, um, and, and how that customer experience um, uh, starts rolling out um, is really, really important. And uh, I've been advocating to a lot of companies to start looking very, very seriously um, into UX design uh, or CX design. So user experience design, uh, or, or uh, let's call it information architecture, as well as your uh, consumer experience or customer experience, because if you look at innovation and you correlate that with your customer experience, your customer experience or a good customer experience um, is one of the most direct uh, ways in which you can measure whether or not your company um, has an internal culture of innovation and if you are doing things innovatively. Um, so especially, um, as we grow uh, more and more, or we, we, we uh, delve deeper and deeper into a contactless economy, um, the prevalence of UX and CX um, is going to really, really come up to the fore, as is um, data tracking, traceability, all of these things that I've spoken um, about. And with that, um, I also want to challenge um, a lot of companies because what you're starting to see are very, very different positions um, that are being built within uh, companies. So uh, the 2020, the biggest, uh, the, the new position um, in the corporate world is the head of remote, uh, because suddenly with the remote workforce uh, and or a hybrid workforce that is half in an office and half uh, remotely, that requires a completely different operating system and uh, you need to start uh, tracking those things. 
Um, on the funny side, we've even got uh, um, the, the chief meme officer because we are so delved into social media. Um, but uh, not so long ago, the city of New York uh, was advertising for a chief algorithmic officer, and that was really specific. The chief algorithmic officer uh, was really there to ensure that the algorithm in terms of recruitment uh, was not biased or they didn't have algorithmic bias uh, within their in their system. So we are getting more and more granular um, as we go along. And my final point is really about performance zones versus um, learning zones. And what I mean about that, um, and especially this applies to the great staggering, is that uh, if you look at high performance athletes, they spend 95 to 99% of their time um, in a learning zone. They train and they train and they train. And uh, then when they go to the Olympics or the big rugby match or the big soccer match, um, they do incredible things. Um, in business, however, what we tend to do is spend almost 100% of our time in a performance zone. We are buried into operational issues uh, with the world changing very fast around us. Um, and if you're lucky, uh, you might take your teams onto a team building exercise for a, a weekend somewhere in the bush or um, at a conference center outside the city. Um, and we expect that three day stopover or two night stopover to be the learning zone that is meant to revolutionize our businesses. It's not going to work with things changing so rapidly and having to meet the velocity of change we have to start balancing our learning zones and performance zones because it is really, really time to rethink um, everything that we need to do. Um, business models are changing right before our eyes. Your customers are no longer where they are um, and they might not have any, uh, no need for what you were selling, but those new changes means that there are opportunities within business. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what I would like you to go home with today and to rethink, reassess and reinvent what you think your business needs right now. And with that, I thank you very, very much indeed. My name is Bintse Paramuriting and my role is uh, I'm group executive for, for IOCO Technology, which consists of uh, uh, quite a few businesses within, within IOCO. But the key one, which is the subject of our discussion of today, is mainly around enterprise applications. Within that, we've got a whole solution offerings in that space. But what excites me, and I'm quite looking forward to, in the context of our near-term growth, is the relationship with uh, Salesforce. And in that context, uh, the, the particular uh, discussion today, or the webinar today, is of importance for me. We embarked on this process of actually formulating a relationship with Salesforce, which was quite a journey for me. Uh, it started with a meeting with one of the Salesforce executives who was down here in South Africa quite a while back. And subsequent to that, uh, we've traveled this journey where now we've really gone down the path of building a comprehensive capability within our business. And, uh, and in this respect, we've had also a number of uh, customer or client-facing engagements with Salesforce in looking at building competencies that are quite strong and have got depth in many of the solution offerings that Salesforce offers to the market. So it's quite an exciting journey that uh, I'm certainly looking forward to. And uh, I'm pleased that we are kicking off this particular webinar. Richard, over to you maybe for well, an thank you. 
Thank you, Sapa. Much, much appreciated. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, and thank you very much for inviting me to join you today. Um, it's, it's, it's a real privilege, first of all, to be partnering with, with IOCO in, in South Africa, uh, such a well-established and respected a, a business. Um, but also, it's, 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 a real, um, it, it, it's a real privilege for me to be speaking with, with, with you today and, 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 and sharing some of the learnings that, that, that we at Salesforce have had since this, uh, this pandemic and uh, kicked off. And, and I suppose how the Salesforce platform is helping African businesses to, to accelerate that, that digital transformation that, that Dion spoke about just now. And, and, and also the importance of working with and partnering with, with local customer, uh, with companies uh, like, like, uh, like IOCO to, uh, to really make this reality for, uh, for, for, for our, our customers and companies in South Africa. So I, I think, um, you know, as Dion highlighted, one of, the, one of the real things that stood out for me is that, you know, there's no doubt that this crisis has created opportunities for businesses um, and it's created opportunities for businesses that have, have embraced and, and, accel and accelerated innovation. And, and I suppose reimagining re their businesses to, to fit better with the world that we, uh, I suppose, that we find ourselves in today. So, so um my name's, my, my name's Richard Chambers. I should have probably started with that. I'm, uh, I'm Area VP of Sales for uh, Africa and, and MED here at Salesforce. Uh, a long career in tech, and in particular, have been uh, have been in Salesforce for the past uh, for the past past fifteen years. So, um, I've seen uh, I, I suppose I've seen a lot of change in the industry. Um, but but funnily enough, you know what what we have seen in the last year has really highlighted a lot of the things that that Salesforce, a lot of the the, the key values that Salesforce um, established way back twenty two years ago when we uh, when we when we when we came to form, we we were established. Wow, great. So, 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 Richard, I think uh, 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 thanks for that brief intro. Uh, going back into uh, the key highlights around uh, Dion Cheng's uh, sort of presentation uh, in the keynote part, it was quite intriguing for me that he touched on a few points, and I want to just maybe tag from his uh, uh, aspects of the of, of the discussion around innovating at the time of crisis, which I think resonates so much with many of what uh, South African businesses are facing today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the lockdown has created uh, quite a bit of a challenge for many uh, customers of ours, uh, but also a great opportunity where businesses have found ways of pivoting around, uh, you know, uh, the, the constraints that they find themselves operating under from a lockdown perspective, which is essentially a transitioning from uh, the old model of operating into the new normal, so to say. What, what mm -hmm. I think uh, becomes a critical and important element uh, maybe to reflect on is an aspect around when businesses are pivoting around some of these new models of operating, have they enabled themselves sufficiently now in terms of their systems and, and operating models to, to effectively serve their client or effectively serve their customers? And I think it's, you know, it, it will be of interest for us maybe to look at how, uh, from a Salesforce perspective and IOCO, help and enable those businesses to be more effective around some of their e-commerce platforms or CX cloud-based solutions that enable them to interact with their customers in a more of a, a, a fluent way or easier way. Yes, absolutely, Sapa. And, and I think, and I suppose dare I say it, Salesforce and, and how we deliver our platform and services is, is, is almost set up to respond to some of the very real challenges that the uh, pandemic has thrown at us in the, in the past year. And 
you know, when Salesforce came about 22 years ago, way back in 1999, everything we did was built around mobility, work from home or from any device. And, and that was no matter whether you were a large multinational or, or, or just a, a mom and pop shop down in, in, in Sampton with a, with a small app operation, whatever it happened to be. You know, and I think it's important, and that said, you know, and, and, and as Dion as, as Dion said in in his in his talk, you know, one year ago the world changed almost overnight, and Salesforce or any company for that matter couldn't have foreseen what we what we had, and you know, companies have had to learn to uh, how to sell, how to service, how to market from 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 anywhere, and you know, for for many companies that digital transformation has become a matter of survival versus uh, you know uh, versus a, a a a nice to have Seppa. So. You know what? What's what Salesforce? Uh, what what Salesforce really really do is that um, you know we 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 allow companies to um, really put the customer at the uh, at the forefront of uh, of, of everything uh, of everything we do, um, and Salesforce really helps companies unlock um, or transform uh, transform by unlocking the value of their customer data across their businesses. You know, to to help them act on insights and understand these 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 types of in, insights, and and then as I said, to kind of provide this single source of truth for customers, and and we we call this the customer three hundred and sixty, um, and really I think the pandemic has highlighted the the importance of having uh, the ability for for companies to uh, see this one single view of their 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 customer. So so really again in a nutshell, the customer three hundred and sixty platform that Salesforce is built on. Is, is designed to help companies sell, service, market, and, and, and really conduct commerce, in fact, from anywhere. So it enables them to go digital fast and, and scale with confidence in, 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 in what we're seeing now is this, this all digital work from anywhere world that we find ourselves in. Yeah, quite, quite interesting you raise a point. And I think uh, Dion goes to quite an uh, in-depth uh, sort of analysis talking about the aha moment of 2020, being separating work from place of work which then talks to this whole concept of mobility that you refer to. And I think the solutions that you're referring to or you're talking to from a Salesforce perspective uh, sort of come quite neatly in enabling our customers to achieve that digital transformation factor that you talk to. And, 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 I, and, I, and, and I think the challenge for our clients, uh, and many of whom maybe are on this call or, or on this webinar, becomes one of saying, you know, how do they go about doing that? And I think the important element, which maybe will be a key takeaway point from this is to understand the fact that firstly, we've got the solutions and the capability to address these key challenges that they face. And the second aspect is the fact that a partner like IOKO uh, can actually come and assist in enabling these kind of uh, capabilities from a transformational perspective to take effect in their businesses. And I think for, that for me is a key element of, of, a, of a message that I would want to lend in this call, I would want to lend in this webinar to understand that the combination of uh, Salesforce together with Ayoko can assist these customers to actually travel this uh, transformational journey that many of them seek to embark upon because key to them or key or what is important is ensuring that they create sustainability in the new normal. Yes, really interesting, really interesting port, Sepa. And I think, you know, um, even companies like Salesforce, even companies like IOKO, where you know we're, we're we're very you know tech savvy. You know, this is really at the 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 foundation to to where our companies have been built and what we do day to day. You know, what we were we were we were I suppose forced into a year ago this work from anywhere, um, or pretty much overnight. 
um, you know, it, it's, it, it, it was, it was very, very difficult. You know, we, we had to, um, you know, we had to, to ensure that we're set up from a technology perspective, uh, or on an operational perspective to allow our, our teams to work remotely. Um, and, you know, we, we quickly became aware of some of the other work from home challenges that we faced and, and, um, you know, we, we had to, we had to take a couple of steps for ourselves, and, and and these are certainly things that 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 I would hope that that some of the the South African African businesses can can learn from, and I'm sure are learning from. But for, for us, the 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 first step was, um, I suppose, to ensure that everybody was able to to securely manage and access their customer data from from their home office, from their spare room. Um, simple things like having laptops, mobile devices, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and, and I suppose then the second thing was was going a step further and, and giving our employees and what we did at Salesforce was we actually gave our employees a small budget to set up a, um, a home office, you know, desks, desks and chairs and things like that. And, um, you know, I, I remember quite a funny story when I when I look back um, at the first couple of weeks and couple of months of the uh, of the lockdown. And one of our senior leaders here in uh, in the first few months of the the, the work from home. Uh, he used his 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 uh, his, cat, his cat's scratch pole as a stand-up desk in his home office, and uh, <laughs> he quickly realised that this was going to be a longer longer than a few weeks. And thankfully, he was able to use this this what we would call this work from home budget to go and pick up a a proper a proper desk and chair. But um, you know, it's it it it's it's you know these are things that we joke about, but really, I mean, you know, we're, we're we were asking people overnight to go and work from work from their spare room with with kids and dogs and cats and 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 all sorts of other things running around the house. It was it was quite difficult. Um, but I think there's a couple of different things that uh, that 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 resonate there as well. The the other final thing I'll say that as well is that, you know. What we've found over the last 12 months that that employees are now really starting to work much, much longer hours. And, and what we're hearing when we survey our employees here at Salesforce is that it's, it's very, very difficult for them to separate their work lives um, from their from their home lives. And, and, and we were concerned that this could quickly lead to burnout. And, 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 and there's a few things that we did to address this. Uh, one of the things that I thought was quite interesting is we made Fridays a, a, a no meeting day. Um, so effectively to help our team members get some I suppose, breathing space from the, 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 the onset of, of video calls and meetings and catch up on admin and things like that. Um, you know, but for us, there's, there's so many different elements of this. You know, there's the technology side, there's giving people the tools to be able to do their jobs and work from home and work from anywhere. And obviously Salesforce and IOCO can provide that. But there's also things that companies need to be very, very aware of in terms of, of some of the the, the I suppose the psychological and the 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 impact of of um, being able to separate these work and home lives is is really really important as well. I think Sepa. Great. So Richard, maybe that uh, to summarize, then you know um, uh, there are three key themes that I think are coming out. So the first one is obviously customers uh, linking uh, uh, or assisting our customers to enable the linkages of their own customers from a CX perspective. Is critical, okay, uh, for 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 businesses in the context of sustainability and going forward. The second element, which I think is of importance, is around uh, data and data tracking, which is one of the key elements that comes out quite strongly in uh, in in Dion's uh, presentation. And lastly, I think he he advises customers, which I think is a brilliant idea, of considering 
roles in terms of actually these transformational initi initiatives in your organization. So head of remote for part of what you just talked about in terms of creating that workspace from away from home and uh, head of many other initiatives associated with digital transformation uh, uh, is key is key in this regard. And, and what were your takeaways uh, as maybe in summary in this regard, uh, Richard? Yeah, thanks, Seppa. There was one other key takeaway for me, and that was around some of the, the industries that I would call hot industries that are emerging as, as a result of, or have emerged as a result of the of the pandemic. And Dion mentioned a number of, of indus interesting industries which we're seeing as thriving in, in, in Africa during and, and post-pandemic. And, and I have to say, this is certainly a, a trend that we are seeing across our African customers and, and businesses at, at Salesforce. Uh, a couple of those, again, that, that, that jumped out at me and, and, and again that I would share with Dion would be that the, the, the rapid rise and, and emergencies of companies within industries such as fintech, of payment tech, obviously pharma, um, direct to consumer logistics. We saw him talking about DPD and, 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 and other uh, and initiatives that, that some of the, the direct to consumer logistics companies are having. Um, but in terms of, of, of how this has impacted the offerings at Salesforce and, and, and I suppose our, 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 our vision at Salesforce is that we've continued to double down on our, on our industry specific uh, offerings. And last year, you, you, probably, you probably saw that we, we, we finalized our acquisition of, uh, of Velocity, which is a industry uh, leader in, in, in uh, or sorry, a, a, a leader in industry specific offerings all built on the, uh, on the Salesforce platform. And in addition to this, at the beginning of this year, we announced the appointment, uh, the appointment of, of David Schmeyer, uh, who was the founder and CEO of Velocity as, as our chief product officer. And I think this really shows how important it is for our growth and our success, and ultimately the growth and success of our customers to shift firmly to industry-specific solutions, which have become so prominent during the pandemic, and will be sure to continue post-pandemic. You know, things like vaccine cloud, things like financial services cloud, manufacturing cloud, CPG cloud, that I know uh, ourselves and IOCO are, are working very, very hard on in terms of, of, of offering our customers, our local South African and African customers, some some really exciting solutions in in, in that space. So really for me that the, the the industries and some of these emerging industries and emerging industries that I would say that have really become hot as a result of the the, the pandemic was super interesting for me uh, in terms of what uh, Dion spoke about there. Great. No, thanks very much Richard for that and uh, perhaps maybe that uh, quite a good note to close on. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and Seppa, thank you again for your time. Really looking forward to, to, um, to, to, to increasing the, the partnership and working in the partnership going forward. Uh, very challenging times, as, as we as we said, but certainly lots of, of, of opportunity within the challenge. And uh, again, looking forward to increasing our footprint in, in Africa and, uh, and working closely with you and the team. So thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks.